Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to the end. You can go push and shove. Yeah, sorry. I, uh, yeah, sitting here faithfully. God bless you. Galatians chapter 5, in our theme uh, of discipleship. I hope uh, you're finding these helpful, encouraging, challenging. They're all, again, online uh, for listening again. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Uh, I've got some uh, screens on the PowerPoint that should come up in a moment. Lord God, in... In this time, we, we pray, teach us your ways to be led and live in the Spirit. As I, I read that list of the things of, this, of the sinful nature, there's some things I think, well, surely no, some of those things don't apply to these dear people. But the reality is we are all in a spiritual battle, and all of us are tempted, and all of us have the choice to make to follow the easy way that we know but isn't the way of life. Or to say, come Holy Spirit, make me like Jesus. Do it in as we pray. Even now. Amen. This, uh, this morning, I, was, I want us to um, focus a little bit on character. Um, we've uh, looked at worship, we've looked at what discipleship is about, we've, we've talked about obedience and repentance. We're going through uh, some very important things and we'll get to many other things as well. Hope you're enjoying it, hope you're being challenged, hope you're uh, being stirred. Character, when we die, we leave behind all, uh, sorry, when we die, we leave behind us all that we have and take with us all that we are. Challenging words. It's uh, Olympic time shortly, as no doubt you've uh, become aware. And uh, I came across stories, and they seem to be fairly regular in the press, of people who run these ridiculously long lengths and uh, kind of take it to running 42 kilometers or 26.2 miles, I think it is. But not all of them do it properly. Some cheat, believe it or not. I know, tut tut. They're kind of like phantom runners. Uh, they start, they begin over the start line, and then somewhere along the way, they seem to go missing, but remarkably appear again at the end. They're not like the honest runners. There are some cheats 
they resort to alternative forms of transport, such as bikes and buses and cabs, even going on undergrounds and subways. A New Yorker called Fred Lortz is the first known uh, marathon phantom runner in 1904. In the Olympics, he was stripped of the gold medal, the gold medal, 1904, after admitting he'd hitched a ride in a car for nearly half the race. Great, isn't it? Innovation, yes, but cheating, nevertheless. Um, maybe you think it was just consigned to the good old days. Well, in a recent San Francisco marathon, 10 of the top 100 finishers were disqualified for cheating. One out of 10 of the top 100 in the San Francisco marathon. In 1997, the, uh, in the LA marathon, um, they disqualified the women's winner for taking a shortcut through several gas stations, through, through filling stations. And I like this one, the favorite. Um, one guy tried hiding in a portaloo near the finish line in yet another race, ready to pop out at the appropriate time. <laughs> Why? Why do they do that? Cheat. Well, fame without pain is, is the best guess. Success by way of shortcuts. Commentators reflecting on it say, well, there's such a drive to get the t-shirt or the certificate so badly or to get to the finish line that they're prepared to go to any astonishing lengths. Shortcuts. And anyone who's competed in any serious sport knows there are no shortcuts to honest success. It's hard, consistent work. Hard work must become a habit. And it's the same with building character. Hard work can't, it must become the habit. No shortcuts. Same with character. I want to tell you a, a little story. So once upon a time. Are you sitting comfortably? Sort of over there. Once upon a time, there was a king who had four wives. He loved the fourth wife most and adorned her with rich robes and treated her to the finest of foods and delicacies. He gave her nothing but the best. He also loved his third wife very much and was always showing her off to the neighboring kingdoms. Isn't she amazing? However, he feared that one day she would leave him for another. He also loved his second wife. She was his confidant and was always kind and considerate and patient with him. Whenever the king faced a problem, he could confide in her and she would help him get through great difficulties. The king's first wife was a very loyal partner and had made great contributions in maintaining his wealth and kingdom. However, he did not love the first wife. Although she loved him deeply, he hardly took notice of her. One day after many years, the king fell ill. And he knew that his time was short. He thought back over his luxurious life and wondered, I now have four wives with me, but when I die, I'll be all alone. Thus, he called in his fourth wife. I've loved you the most, given you the finest clothing and showered great care over you. Now that I'm dying, will you follow me and keep me company? No way, replied the fourth wife. As she walked out without another word, her answer cut like a, heart, uh, like a knife right into his heart. The sad king then asked the third wife, I've loved you all my life, 
Now that I'm dying, will you follow me and keep me company? No, she replied. Life's too good. When you die, I'm going to remarry. He called in the second wife. I've always turned to you for help and you've always been there for me. When I die, will you follow me and keep me company? I'm sorry, she said. I can't help you out this time. At the very most, I can send you only to your grave. Her answer came like a bolt of lightning and the king was devastated. Then a voice called out, I'll leave with you and follow you no matter where you go. The king looked up and there was his first wife. She was skinny because she'd suffered from malnutrition and neglect. Greatly grieved, the king said, I should have taken care of you when I had the chance. You know, in truth, we all have four wives in our lives. The fourth wife is our body. No, much ha- no matter how much time and effort we lavish in making it look good, it will leave us when we die. Our third wife represents possessions and status and wealth. When we die, they go to others. Our second wife is our family and friends. No matter how much we have been there, how much they've been there for us, the furthest they can stay with us is up to the grave. And the first wife is our soul. Often neglected in the pursuit of wealth and power and the pleasures of the world. However, our soul is the only thing that will follow us wherever we go. So the moral of the story in Once Upon a Time, cultivate and strengthen and cherish it for now. For it's the only part that will follow us to the throne of God and continue with us throughout glory. Character. I want to show you a a little diagram. Oh, I missed the Once Upon a Time, sorry. There they were. Character. I want to kind of represent it by this this little triangle. Because it will help us understand something about how Christ calls us to change, to be like Jesus. And there's three points, clearly, to a triangle of how we grow spiritually in character. The first thing I want you to to remember, uh, and we'll come to those in a minute, the first thing is in growing and changing our character to, to be conformed to the image of Christ, to become who we were meant to be, we need the action of the Holy Spirit. Do you agree? Vital. But that's not the whole story. There's some other things that God helps us in growing spiritually. The second thing is the ordinary events in life. That's amazing. The ordinary stuff in life will shape you more than perhaps the things that we sometimes so think will. And thirdly, plan, discipline, and new attitude. Those three things implicitly work in us to change us, to shape us, to mold us under God's kind of action and His Spirit, to make us conform to the likeness of Christ, to be changed. Are you perfect? No, me neither. But part of the theme of discipling each other, of, of being going through this series of our vision, is to say, Jesus, please change us. Please make us more holy in all you have done on the cross. Change us, sanctify us, the big word. Make us who we were made to be. So I want to just uh, think a little bit about this. And there's some verses that you can jot down. 
the action of the Holy Spirit. John 3, 5, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one enter the, can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Or in Romans 8, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. And the verse in Galatians that we've read, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, the characteristics Christian living, all brought through the Holy Spirit. Now, the way the triangle is set out is really important. At the top, clearly, is, is um, the Holy Spirit. He's really crucial. He's the central to this whole kind of idea of how do we grow spiritually. Unless God is at work in us, then we're not going to change. It's just become, going to become legalistic of do's and don'ts of, of what we must do in order to appear religious. Actually, the stuff Jesus wants to do in us through his Spirit is from within. And it has to be under the initiative and the primacy and the whole process of what God is doing. The Holy Spirit to move in our souls and minds, to change us, to come upon us, to work within us. I can't emphasize enough the importance of the Holy Spirit. Again and again, Paul would write in other places of the scripture, the importance for us as believers to be filled with the Spirit. Jesus said, don't rush out on mission field. Wait in Jerusalem till you're what? Clothed in power. In order to be my witnesses, not just to be able to tell and say, this is the risen Christ, but to be witnesses who show by their living, who are living testaments. Be clothed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18, be filled again and again with the Holy Spirit. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 talks about how the Holy Spirit is being gifted to us as a church and to individuals in order that we're marked out and set apart, guaranteeing our inheritance. But it's the first fruits. Do you remember all these passages? By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit cannot be overemphasized. So, so vital. That's why we come together and worship. That's why we encourage each other to be praying, Lord, each and every day, come. Pray for each other, fill us, house groups, wherever it is. And it's really important that we gather together in Sundays and in small group meetings because sometimes God really works powerfully, doesn't he, when we gather together. Sometimes on our own, it's a hard journey. But when we gather together with like-minded brothers and sisters crying out to God, he works, doesn't he? Think back in your Christian life to times where you've been in a gathering, whether it's here or in a, a conference or in a small group or a prayer triplet, where God has encountered you and changed you. Can anyone think of that? You're thinking about it, I can see. Thank you, Maggie. It happens as we gather, but it can't just be on the gathered times. So that is very, very important. The emphasis, the work of the Holy Spirit. But that isn't the end of the story. It has to be accompanied by ordinary events in life. If we just leave our Christian life to the Sunday or the Wednesday night at house group or whenever you meet in your prayer triplet and say, well, that's the time God's going to change me. That's the time the Holy Spirit's going to be at work in me and shape me. We miss out so much of what God wants to do. Do you understand that? It's about the day by day, the step by step, the hard work, the training to be changed by God's Spirit 
into the likeness of Jesus. Ordinary events. Recognizing in the day by day that God is. That he's the same God that we've met and worshipped today as we go into our workplace or into the school or wherever we happen to be in the week. God is. God is. You see, so much of the time, we kind of fall into the mindset and think, my life isn't what it should be. Well, we know that. But we think, well, if only it was different, then God could work in me. Do you fall into that trap? If I hadn't had that letter from the doctor, then I'd be able to praise. If I wasn't living under the strain of debt, then I could kind of uh, respond to God with greater faith. If I wasn't getting old and a bit achy now and... uh, Phil, bless him, we went to a prayer and fasting day. and <laughs> This is on Karis' behalf, clearly. We were praying, and he was, can I share this story? <laughs> Ask him later. No, you know, we, I'm turning 40 soon, and, and we, you know, body gets a bit achy, doesn't it? It's not as lithe as it used to be, is it, Phil? No. <laughs> and we think, well, if we're maybe in the... When we were younger, we could have done more for God. If only. The reality is God has given us the present moment, the now to live in. It's his gift to us. As Joe was saying, God is good all the time. In the here and now, it may not be perfect. It may be far from the kingdom of God in all its fullness and glory. But now is what we have. And now is when God is going to be at work in you. Do you believe that? It's not in the grass is greener in the other place, but in the here and now that God, by his action of his Holy Spirit, will, when we say yes to him, eager to invite him in, will shape us and change us. And part of our journey is to recognize that it has to be in the now, not to pretend it's going to be tomorrow or we missed the opportunity yesterday. It's in the present and the here and now. It takes a step of faith to accept that the circumstances of my life now are the ideal training ground that God can shape me to be like Christ. With depression, with sickness, with struggles, with increasing age, with doubt, whatever it happens to be, they're not insurmountable to God. Now in this place is the opportunity for God's kingdom to come and his blessing to be made manifest. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. Because that's where we are. We're here. This is who we are. If you faithlessly discard situation after situation, event after event, moment by moment, as not right, it's impossible to see the kingdom of God come. Because he works in the real, the now, through the moments and the situations that are life. The lives of trials, of tests. God doesn't tempt us, but he conforms our likeness as we choose his ways against those that we have so learnt to do. The trials of life, even getting up this morning... That was hard, wasn't it, when you forgot the clocks had changed. The trial of life this morning, an opportunity for the grace of God to change your character. 
And rather than moan and kind of grumble and be gratty with your partner or your children. Oh, not church again. Can't we stay in bed? A moment of God's grace. Where am I? Some verses. There we go. Things like James 1, 2 to 5. Just think of, just he sounds ridiculous, James. I have to say, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. We don't do that, do we? Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom you've gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Mad Paul. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. But also there's planned discipline and new attitudes. What do I mean? Well, in Colossians, Again, a wonderful passage, Colossians 3. It all stems, don't mishear this as legalism or becoming religious. In all these things, it always stems from what God has done in Christ for us. Given us, for us, he's given us his Holy Spirit. It says, reflect on who I am, what I've done, people of God. And now let that understanding shape you. He says, put off the old ways and put on the new ways. In Galatians, the words are, you know, don't be conformed to the sinful nature. You know what this is like. And that list isn't exhaustive. There's plenty others you could probably think of in your own examples. But rather, live in the Spirit and be loving and peaceful and gracious and gentle and kind and self-controlled. These are the way of God. We're called to grow. 2 Peter 1, 5 to 10. For this reason, make every effort to add your, to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, that's the key, increasing measure. There's a lot of godly people here. I love you. Well, all of you. But some of them, are, you know, we see Christ shine in just wonderful ways. Don't stop. Increasing measure. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone doesn't have them, he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail. Wow. Character is really, really important for the people of God in our witness, in our living. What do I mean by planned discipline and new attitude? There are things that we can practice. Like if you're running a marathon, there are things that we can do that really help us to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. I could give you some, and I will give you some at the end, 
But just read the Gospels and maybe highlight, what does Jesus do? Not just what does he say, what are the things that he patterns in his life that he does? He takes time to pray. He's a man of the scriptures. He sometimes leaves all the busyness of life and takes time just to dwell with the Father. He's really, really compassionate and doesn't judge people. Read the Gospels again. Maybe on the run-up to Easter. And note not just what Jesus says, but what he does. Because he's the one we're to become like. Or if you're familiar with the Gospels, read some else, something else of the New Testament. And say, Lord, how can I be reformed, renewed in the image of Jesus? Because really, Christians are under new management. You know, you go to that old restaurant that's a bit ropey and has a reputation for giving people, you know, their upset stomachs. And then the sign comes, under new management, you think, well, well, it's different now, isn't it? Christians are under new management. If you've come to faith, the old ways, the ways of dysentery and <laughs> debt and move on, yeah. The new ways, good ways, the wholesome, the ways we were meant to be. Reputation is what men and women think of us. Character is what God and the angels know of us. What about this one? Dwight Moody defined character as what we are in the dark. Or what comes out under pressure. Or what really goes on in the recesses of our heart and mind. Under new management. You know, I'm so overjoyed when we see amongst us in the daily living of our lives, you changing before my eyes, before our eyes, as we take sometimes little steps and sometimes big steps, sometimes get knocked back a bit, but people say, yeah, I'll keep on. And the character of Christ is being formed. More of that. Don't give up. Focusing on and prioritizing character. I said I'd give you some clues. This spells practices. It's just a helpful thing. I don't ex well, I do expect you to remember them. That's why I'm giving you key things that can help form you, shape you. Pray regularly, daily. Read the Bible daily. Attend gathered worship weekly. It's really important. Connect with believers in a small group regularly. Tell others about your experience with God. Invite others to engage in this wonderful privilege of new life in Jesus, in God. Contribute tithes and offerings to God. Exercise our talents and gifts to serve others. And speak honorably of others. It's not an exhaustive list. I'm not saying that, you know, as you practice these things, then you've got it sorted. Maybe they're just helpful reminders or prompts to say, in being disciplined, in having your attitude changed. And not just, well, clearly trusting, not, not just is the wrong way of saying it. We need more of the Holy Spirit. We need to recognize in the life that we live now, God is able to change us. But also to be actively engaged with it. Not just to kind of sit passively back and say, come on God, change my life. But to say this is my life. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. 
I'm going to put into practice these things that through the ages of the church, again and again, in the testimony of faithful people we look up to and admire, it's not happened by chance or by accident, but by hard work, by choosing, by saying these are the things that are good for my soul and my character and I will invest in them. We live in a culture of quick fix and it's not my fault. But that's not the way of the kingdom. We live in the spirit. See the moment of opportunity for the kingdom now and say, I'll give it my all. No quick fixes, no shortcuts, no portaloos to hide in for the end of the marathon, but to run the race. We've got uh, a few minutes before the young people are expecting to come back to, it, to us. And um, we want to make space always to respond to, to God, to his spirit, to give each other the opportunity to respond privately and personally, but also as a body, a family together, that we share in this journey of the ups and downs. And God has equipped each one of us to bless each other, to serve each other. And prayer is one of the best ways we can do that. A powerful tool. It's the way of Jesus. To listen to the Father and to, to pray and see the kingdom come. So we're going to worship and wait. And um, we want to give opportunity. You know, sometimes when people give these ministry appeals, there's some things God highlights but that doesn't mean that's the only thing God is highlighting. God will have spoken, I trust, to each one of you. And when we just highlight some, it's not to discount those other things. Far from it. We bless what God has said, the challenge that God has given and what he's doing. So if you hear these ministry appeals for whatever it is and you just think, I want to, they've not touched on it. That's not my circumstance. You just, you know, just be able to respond to God. You have permission. If God has spoken, respond in faith. Or ask someone to pray if, even if it's not something we've mentioned, because we want to see the kingdom come in your life and in this place. can rescue, you alone can save, 